if you only knew my story, you might not judge me. And that is where I think God sits because he knows our stories. Mm. He knows every moment that has wounded us. He knows every moment where we have been penetrated to like that vulnerable core. And that's the compassion that this all-knowing being can have on each of us and then pour out a love that is healing and redemptive. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I really enjoy sharing these conversations because there are so many great people with amazing stories that deserve to be heard. But a lot of times in the music industry, we only hear about the amazing things, those things that sell records. Publicists seem to highlight all the good stuff of an artist's career. About the only time we hear tough stories are when it is scandalous or sensational and that that spectacle will help increase sales. But after the sales cycle is over and an artist is out of the spotlight, they are still living life and learning how to deal with some really difficult and disappointing situations. Today, I'm speaking with Kendall Payne. She was a 90s success story with awards and tours and disappointments. Then she disappeared, or so it seemed, but God was still working and is still working through some really challenging situations. I found our conversation to be very helpful to some things I'm going through. Kendall is a joyful, caring soul who is striving to work through some significant disappointments and hurts in her life. This is a great conversation, and if I'm being completely honest, I feel like I've reconnected with a little sister I never knew I had. Stick around for this amazing chat right after I tell you a little bit more about Mercy, Inc. Isaac Ruto lives in Kipkaren, Kenya. He is a farmer working with a program called Shalom Africa, and they are training other farmers how to become self-sustaining through agriculture. He starts with a chicken. Now, most people would want to eat that chicken. After all, there's not a lot of food to go around here. But Isaac shows how caring for that chicken means that there will be eggs that can be eaten, as well as, oh my gosh, additional chickens. And as his students learn, they might graduate to a goat, or even a cow, or maybe two cows. Isaac has told us about students that have gone on to purchase property and build a house for their family. That one chicken started the path to people getting started in farming so that they could feed not only their kids, but their community. Mercy Inc. works with Shalom Africa in the predominantly Muslim areas of Kenya, Togo, the Dominican Republic, and Uganda. And they not only teach farming and agriculture, but they share the love of Jesus so that people's lives are being changed from the inside out. You can be a part of this amazing work. Visit mercyinc.org to learn how you can help change a life or even an entire community. And it can all start with a chicken. Visit mercyinc.org today and see how you can provide mercy and hope for families in Africa. 
Kendall Payne is my guest today. Kendall splashed onto the music scene in 1999 with her debut album, which earned her a Dove Award. And everything seemed to be going just great. And then her label dropped her. Great. But God had other plans for her music. And in 2021, she has just released her sixth independent project. She got married, had two kids, and then the rug got pulled out from under her again. Another twist in the story. And yet here she is, still making music, and still seeking to understand what it means to be a child of God. We've talked a little bit in preparation for today's conversation, and I can't wait to hear more about this story. So join me in welcoming to the podcast, Kendall Payne. Welcome. Thank you. That was a lovely intro. I was <laughs> listening to it like, oh, I'm so excited to start talking. <laughs> I do well, talking. <laughs> I'm a gift of talker, so you know we'll have plenty of the talk stuff. We will be fit to be died. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as you and I prepared for our conversation today, we exchanged a number of emails, and the thing that jumped out at me was your love and compassion that kind of came through even between the lines, even as we talked about some tough topics. So I'm looking forward to hearing that smile in person today. This is exciting for me. Yes. Uh, it's, um, you know, I'm, I've, as you sort of alluded to and hinted at, I've been uh, through a couple of knockdowns, and I have said many times now, the best part about getting, you know, everything smashed down <laughs> in your life yeah. and squeezed to the point that, like, the deepest innards of you come out and you're like, you get to find out what you're really made of. Yeah. And I really believe that that's been the greatest blessing in disguise is realizing, like, I've got some deep, deep joy and that goes beyond like happiness. And I believe that is like, uh, as you prayed earlier, you know, just finding my identity and being a child of God. Mm -hmm. And when that is unshakable, like storms come and go, rugs get pulled out from underneath you and it rattles you, but it doesn't uh, destroy you, you know? Yeah. Well, I was literally talking with a guy at church just a couple of weeks ago who has just finally got his dream job but was looking back mm. at all the different things that he had to go through. And at the time, you know, he lost his job. He got connected with somebody and that didn't work out. All these disappointments and all these things. And during that time, he was going, Lord, please, this is not what I want. This is not what I want. But now to look back and realize, oh my gosh, those things had to happen in order to make it possible for you to get your dream job. And so I think a lot of times we forget about the journey is not always, you know, easy, but we God's got it under control, I, I hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is the hope, right? And it's a hope that's bigger than our version of control, which is, hmm. I'm hot, I'm going to turn the air conditioning on to yeah. 72 degrees, and I'm going to control my environment. You yeah. know, there is a, I mean, we were just kind of talking about the Texas weather. I yeah. am a Southern California girl, born and raised, and I've moved to Texas, and my recent joke is just that Texas weather is like a manic, depressive, bipolar patient that needs <laughs> severe meds and a lot of long-term therapy and might need to be committed because it's crazy. <laughs> it just goes up and down. And, you know, there is uh, this element of, like, seasons that mm. aren't sort of in control necessarily. Yeah. Like, okay, it's like I want it this degree, you know, but there is a larger control, a sun shining every day and the trees that lose their leaves and then sure enough spring rolls around mm. and they are back in business and yeah. so there's like this larger control of of god that i believe you know that that we 
we like to like boil God down into our little version of control and say, Oh God, please be in control of this. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm I'm in control in ways that you can't even fathom. (laughs) Don't put me in your little box of control. And I've been thinking about that as people, you know, people dealing with cancer and, and people dealing with tough things and Lord, why didn't you heal them? Well, because I wanted to use their cancer to be a ministry to other people, or I wanted to teach them something or I wanted so there's always this bigger plan, and I think we'll get to heaven and go, what? Oh, I get it. I see what you were doing there. Yeah, I sure hope so. Well, let's start off by talking about music, because that's kind of what we do, is we talk about music. And as I mentioned in the opening, your first album, at least the first one that I knew about, came out in 1999 on Capitol Records. Yep. Um, but as we all know, there's no such thing as an overnight success. So how did you get started doing music and how did you decide, I'm going to be a professional musician? Yeah, I haven't told the story in so long. I've been um, doing the independent thing for a while. Right. And then uh, semi-retired, gosh, like a little less than 10 years ago. And just, you know, took a church job and kind of was like, I want to have babies. And um, so my oldest is 10 years old. And so I kind of mark it all by that. But yeah. uh, but I used to tell this story all the time. So I can nutshell it really quickly. But I, from the youngest of age, knew that I was... Uh, made to make music and and felt also I remember at about six years old just feeling like I knew that God was real and I felt God and I felt God in music particularly it was a really direct connection I used to sit in my room and sing songs and just weep and now looking back I'm like oh that was was the spirit moving in me in those moments and um and so it kind of uh happened very naturally that the moment I started playing guitar, I started writing songs. I was about 13 years old. And uh, I remember, you know, someone taught me E minor and D (laughs) and C, three chords. And I wrote like every song I could possibly get out. (laughs) And then someone taught me G and then someone taught me F and someone, you know, and I just was a um, self-taught musician. And I'd I'd write songs and write songs. and, And my sister, who was two years older than me, my first album was actually called Jordan Sister right. um, because uh, I just not because of this, but there was this one moment I wrote this song called Never Leave. And she was like, Kendall, that's actually a good song. Oh, like It was like the first moment I turned a corner and like even my sister like became a fan of of the song. And so um, sort of fast forward, I just kept writing and kept doing it because it just literally was like, all it was it was second na- or it was first nature it wasn't mm. even second nature it was mm. just what i loved and knew how to do innately and yeah. i ended up getting signed to capitol records when i was 17 years old and uh i, I was a, a strong conservative christian believer kind of as as much as you can kind of like imagine that uh sort of prototype right. and instead of being like ashamed of that i like marched into these mainstream record labels, you know, the A&R guys. And I was like, I'm on a mission from God. And I believe that, you know, this generation needs the voice of hope and that's what I am. And, and they just ate it up. It was so funny looking back there. I just, you know, sat in all these like really like, like heavy hitters offices and just sort of said like, I believe in Jesus. And I believe that this is the only way to hope and freedom and our generation needs to hear this. And so I ended up getting signed and released the record. And it was like, everyone was like, oh my gosh, can you believe this? Can you, I mean, this is just the most amazing thing. And I'm like, 
please. Everyone's just catching up to where I've been in my head since I was six. Like, this is what I was made to do. So did you did you practice singing in the bathroom with a hairbrush and doing all your stage stage moves? Oh, and... my gosh. <laughs> did I ever. Like, I had, you know, and that was in the day of, like, tape recorders. I had this oh, yeah. pink, like, tape recorder, and I'd, like, make recordings of myself. I rewrote, like, all Whitney Houston songs with my own lyrics, and, like, my <laughs> dream was to be Amy Grant's backup singer. Like, that was... Like, oh, and I also wanted to be the honorary girl member in DC Talk. There that was. <laughs> we kind of get an insight into that on your album Grown with Little Candle, right? <laughs> yes, precisely. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. I made tapes for everyone. I would do like everything. Like it was just, I was, I was like made to perform from the youngest of age. That's so fun. Wasn't a surprise. So what was it like when all of a sudden, uh, capital dropped you and i mean you had an, a dove award which in the christian music industry is you know that's a big deal so you're going places yeah. and then all of a sudden yeah. the rugs pulled out from you and oh guess what we're not going to fund another album exactly um you know that was when i look back on like the tapestry or the topography of my life's map that is one of the um, darkest valleys and probably the beginning of an unraveling that now I can see is like one of the most beautiful and gracious unravelings that I can only be grateful for now. But mm. in the moment it was terrifying and totally traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I often tell, like I wrote this song called Aslan and um, which is about that, a wonderful character in the Narnia series by right. C.S. Lewis. I I remember sort of I was post a record deal. I didn't have a college degree. I got you know signed when I was seventeen. I kind of thought, well, this is what I want to do with my life. I'm going to do this. I was twenty one years old. I was kind of like, what am I supposed to do now? This right. is I, I'm, I've kind of reached the top, and now it's <laughs> not happening. Yeah. Um, and so I I started reading. You know, I was like, I'm going to be a reader. <laughs> I started with children's books because that felt like the most appropriate <laughs> things that I could finish with my ADD. I was like, I'm not going to get into the deep stuff. I'm going to skip. But good Lord, anyone who's ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, it's yeah. as deep as it goes. Oh, yeah. Just uh, set on a, you know, on kind of a playground. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I encountered this character in a whole different way, this God character, this Aslan, and um the lyric in that song that I wrote is he's not safe. No, he's not safe. Um, but he's good. Mm. And that's what one of the, the little beaver says to one of the children. She's yeah. terrified to meet Aslan. She says, finds out he's a lion and she's like, oh, he's safe. And he's like, have you not heard anything I've said? <laughs> he's the king. Yeah. He's like, he's the most powerful thing there is. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. And that changed everything because like we were talking about when, when the, you know, the control version mm -hmm. falls apart and you go, wait a minute, this yeah. is not what I thought the plan was, but you trust the heart of God. You trust the goodness of God. You trust the long arc. You trust that there is a bigger picture and you are a part of it. You get to be a note in the symphony. Mm. You can say it is well with my soul. Like I want to, I want to just be in your you know, thing you're doing. Thank you for this gift of life. And I just want it to be 
full of your love and mm. your grace and your mercy. So, yes, that, it was devastating. But You've wrapped it up into a very nice, neat bow, but I can only imagine the hours and months and maybe even years of, God, what in the world are you doing? I don't get this. And did that bring any self-doubt or doubt in Jesus, or did that bring anything that was causing you to change? You know, you talked at the top about being that traditional Christian going into the executives. I'm, I'm not even sure how to how to voice this this question, but it's to me that would just be devastating. It was, and if I'm really honest, it's uh, it's you know it's a limp I walk with ever since. I think. It's a yin and yang because I think it has made me a much more humble and sincere person. Not that I wasn't originally, but I didn't even know how unaware of those devastating moments can be. Like, I was just Mm -hmm. like, I'm just acing everything. Every door I walk through is open. And, And I sort of slammed into one and went, wait a minute, this is not what my experience has been. And that, uh, that starts to kind of unravel you in ways. I, I, I wrote another song on a much later album called Wounds to Scars. It's called Idol. And uh, ironically, it's about me auditioning for American Idol oh. and how terrifying that experience was. And basically, like, I never wanted to feel that way again. In my growing up, I just kept on getting sort of everybody saying, you're great at this. You should do this. You, oh, get a record deal. Oh, go tour. Oh, all these things. And I would just be like, what's wrong with people who are afraid to go after their dreams? It's, <laughs> yeah. You know, and now I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, yeah. It's terrifying to be that vulnerable and put yourself out there. And so for that, I'm grateful because I've touched another human experience that, mm-hmm. yes, I wish I have never touched it. I don't want <laughs> right. to live in it, right. but I've become a more whole person through or just able to relate to more people Mm. because yeah and and that's a gift that is like literally like there's no price to put on that gift to be able to have the empathy to you know say oh it may not be my exact story but i know the emotions you're feeling right now because i felt them too you know you get dropped from sparrow and you're in this deep dark place and then you get a second chance from, from all intents and purposes, a very unlikely place. Yeah. Tell us about that story. Well, I um, I was just telling someone this the other day, because now I'm living in Dallas, and uh, actually I was, working, I was at a lunch with some church um, members. I'm the worship leader at a church here. And they were talking about um, just that feeling of box-checking Christians in mm-hmm. the South, mostly, you know, uh-huh. because it's sort of like you say, oh, I'm a Christian. And you're like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean you go to church on Easter and Christmas and just kind of, you know, like, yeah, it's just kind of like a, it's more like a social thing. But in Los Angeles, if you say you're a Christian, <laughs> like you, you are, it's highly likely that you like have a authentic relationship with Christ mm-hmm. or Like, you know, you mean it because it's not cool to say that there, you know, it's not like a, like you'd say you're spiritual or you'd say you have, you know, some like stuff, but you wouldn't say I'm a Christian. So in that, under that umbrella, it's sort of like Christians know each other. Like, you're like, oh, I know that guy. (laughs) He's a Christian, you know, and oh, they know me because I'm a Christian. So a friend of mine, um, a guy named Zach Levi, 
who uh, was just sort of starting off um, in his acting career. And uh, he was a Christian and he knew I was Christian and we became friends and he had landed a pilot and had done some acting stuff that had allowed him to have some finances. And so he said, Hey, I'd like you to make your next album. I believe in your art and your music and I'm willing to put up the money for it. And that just was the greatest blessing and kind of changed the trajectory of my life at that point once again. And then I got a Grey's Anatomy placement, which kind of put me back on the map. And I, you know, like I was able to tour and travel and um, sort of recoup the funds for that, pay him back and then um, fund my next record. So it sort of was like, just such a gift. And I mean, if you don't know who Zachary Levi is, then Google his name. He yeah. was Shazam. He's gone on to be, I mean, he was the voice of Flynn Rider and Tangled. He is like just an amazing human being and incredible actor. And I'm so glad to know him and call him friend. And a couple of other credits that I think of is he was just in the movie, uh, the under uh, American underdog, the story of Kurt Warner, which yeah. was just out, which That's is an right. amazing film. So yeah. How cool to have that friendship and to kind of get that start together. So yes. yeah. Yes, 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 well, yes. you, so you've been recording independently and somewhere along the line, you got married and you decided you'd have a couple of kids. And mm-hmm. at some point you transitioned from the performing musician into worship leader at a church there in California. How did that, how did that transition go from saying, well, I'm not going to tour per se. I'm going to focus on helping people worship through music. Yeah. I, um, from a very young age, you know, I, like I said, I knew I wanted to do music and from also a very young age, I knew I wanted to be a wife and a mom. That was kind of one of my, uh, probably maybe even a higher dream and desire of mine. And so I met my um, now ex-husband, but then a husband. Uh, He had come out for medical school. He was pursuing that career. And um, I was 25 when we got married. He was 24. And basically, like, I spent the next five years or so. I wanted to have babies, like, right away. (laughs) We always joke, he's he's such a planner, and I am the other side of the brain. Like, I'm just like, what do I want to do today? Oh, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go to Europe today. It's like, we weren't planning on going to Europe. So we joked that, you know, he said, let's have the five-year plan. And right after we got married, I was like, let's just have babies. And he's like, we have a five-year plan. And I'm like, (laughs) but what does that really mean? And then I came to realize, well, there's a literal five-year plan he has. And it was kind of one of my first rude awakenings. (laughs) How different humans can be in marriage or in relationship. And so, um, so I, I was like, all right, whatever, fine. Let's do the five-year plan. At about 30 years old, uh, after I had released, um, I had worked with Charlie Peacock on my, that final album Mm -hmm. that was prior to this latest release and just felt like, you know, I was, I was in that season of going, I don't want to be on the road. I hadn't hit it big enough to where I could be on a tour bus and I was schlepping my own gear. I was totally (laughs) making a living and doing great at it, but, um, booking myself and managing myself and having a great time. But I was like, I don't want to bring a baby out on the road. And my husband is in medicine and he can't, there was no telehealth at that point, you know, and he needed to build a patient panel. And so I was like, you know what, let me transition into this next season of my life where I can use my gifts. I loved leading worship. I have always been just a worshiper at heart. 
And then my music was just sort of like a someone, a great songwriter told me once, they said, you can either write about the light itself, which would be for me, worship music. Mm-hmm. You know, you write about how the beautiful light and how amazing yeah. it is, or you can write about what you see by the light. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what comes a little more natural to me, which is the singer songwriter sort yeah. of like, this, these are the truths, These are the thoughts that the light is exposing. And I want to tell you about them. So I kind of thought, well, I can function as a worship leader at a church. And so um, a, another buddy of mine had just accepted a role as senior pastor at Bel Air Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles and asked me to come on staff there. And I was like, heck yes. Perfect so timing and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was wonderful. They had a preschool. I got to have my kids there on the campus with me. I got to, you know, do what I love to do on Sundays. I got to build a community, have a great time, do my music and give my gifts back to the Lord and most people reported that they liked it. Some some people don't like it, but can't please them all. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So so that sounds like it was a pretty easy transition for you. It just is a natural flow into the, the stage of life that you were at with your kids on the way and playing with your husband and Yeah. It was a great season. And um like when you have the introvert extrovert question and you know, you kind of think of them as a continuum and if the extrovert's on the far right and the introvert's over on the left, if you you know, if you put that extrovert line over there and then you knock it off, knock the wall off, and then you throw me about 10 more feet, I'm, <laughs> I ranked there on the extrovert line. <laughs> and so it was like being a part of a community regularly. Like yeah. I thought of kind of nationally I and really globally, every church I'd go to when I was touring and I was like, this is my community. And then all of a sudden I got to like just be immersed in a full community and it was a real natural fit for me. Well, so then your 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 husband finished school and stuff and gets transferred to Dallas, right? Yes, basic. Well, that was that's a that was a nonlinear okay. line. He finished school. He did his residency at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, and um, he <laughs> then he started private practice, and then he kind of thought, I I think I want to get uh trained in more. So he did some PICU training. And then about a year after a three-year fellowship, he kind of had a little breakdown and said, I don't want to be a PICU fellow or doctor anymore. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, wh- what do you want to do? And he said, I don't think I want to do medicine anymore. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh. oh, okay. What do you think you want to do? And he said, I think I want to go back and get my MBA. I think I want to go into business. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, <laughs> let's do that. So he, I mean, he's just an incredibly smart powerhouse of a human being. And so we got his MBA and, uh, and then he worked as a consultant for a couple of years. And so then this opportunity arose in Dallas um, that kind of married both the worlds for him, mm-hmm. the business acumen and the just um, the street credit of being a board certified, yeah. you know, pediatrician and having, you know, done all of his training and everything. So he, um, he accepted the role uh, at a hospital here in Texas where he could run operations, but also know, you know, the nuts and bolts of yeah. what it means to be a physician in the hospital. So it seemed like it was just the absolute dream come true. Yeah. And we were going to move to Texas as a little family. And I was going to concentrate kind of on music again and making some stuff and, you know, and we moved here and that's kind of when the real bottom of my life fell out. <laughs> so, so what does that mean? Um, so, uh, this, so we moved here in the fall of 2018 
And uh, the day after Christmas, so right before 2019, um, he shared a lifelong secret that he had never told another human soul. And um, he came out to me. He shared that he has same-sex attraction, has had that since he was five years old, as long, I mean, basically the earliest of memories, and um, believed that through, you know, his also very conservative Christian upbringing, that the only, um, had never talked to anyone, had never told anyone that he had had these feelings, um, and just gathered all the data that through his family and through his political leanings and through his um, church, you know, messaging that the like uh, kind of prescription for him was to marry a woman and play the part of a heterosexual man and just bear that cross and never, never let anyone know. So that's what he did. What did you do when you heard that? I mean, well, I, you know, I, sometimes I just kind of like tell like that little bit of the story and then that's like satisfies people and they're like, Oh, but, um, it was because we share a belief, uh, you and I, and I'm assuming that the listening community shares a belief too. I, I'll say this with caution. I believe I received a word from God, um, about three weeks before and I, spent multiple weeks, you know, having dreams and flash nightmares of, <laughs> yeah. you know, like this isn't real, this isn't real. And it was the most um, mystical experience I've ever had in my life. And I grew up going to a vineyard church, so I've had some kind of wacky things <laughs> in, my, in my grab bag of experiences. But I, sure. I like, that's maybe for another, because it's a long story, but basically <laughs> like I, I got a, I got a, a premonition, a, a voice that spoke to me and I was the one who actually asked him finally. Mm-hmm. And what he had said in his mind is that for our entire lives and his entire life, no one had ever directly asked him. And so he built out this little caveat that said, I'm not lying. No one has asked me. And so when I actually asked him, he had this moment where he thought, well, here it is. I either lie or I finally tell the truth that I have said, if anyone asks, I'll tell, you know, and, uh, which just, you know, again, like looking back on this, God is in control. Like God is, is just doing some incredible things. They are not the versions of our things that we think that God should be up to, but God is in the business of setting us free, I believe. So when when he came out, when I asked, uh, I had sort of planned to ask very intentionally one specific question mm-hmm. and then just listen like I had never listened before in my life because right. I knew whatever he was going to say was going to, you know, because I was still like, I don't know. I just have this like feeling this word and I had never felt that before. And I just was I was tripping out. My yeah. brain was like, I didn't know it was up and down anymore for a couple of weeks. It was yeah. a very bizarre time in my life. And uh as he started to kind of explain some stuff, all I could hear in my head was, that's not a no, that's not a no. He's not saying no. He's not saying no. Like, this is real. This is real. And um, I felt that do, 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 like right. world spinning. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it just, 
you know, I, I look back on the times when I cried in my bed over my record deal and the amount of times that I have sobbed in my big old Texas closet that could hold like three families, you know, and just said over and over, I didn't want this. I didn't want this life. I don't want this. Take this from me. This is not, this is not the life I want. And just sobbed. So looking back, I'm like, that, that devastation trumps the, the yeah. oh yeah, little appetizer for the disappointment that life can sort well, of deal out to you. Well, and my question is because you have had this historic conservative Christian upbringing and a, a way of believing a certain thing, and the Bible speaks seemingly very clearly, I believe very clearly, about what a same-sex relationship is, and yet here is somebody who's very important to you who now says, I don't know that that gels with how I feel. I mean, when you heard that, I'm sure you were thinking about your daughters. I'm sure you were thinking about what does the future look like? What did God say to you in that? Yeah, it's fascinating because I am, I really, how do I even articulate this? It's that same, um, Mm, gosh, what's like, I'm trying to wrap my words around basically what, uh, how personal and real it got immediately. Yeah. Because with my former beliefs, it was very easy to say, well, this is what I think. And this is what, you know, I interpret scripture to say, and this is what seems right to me, but I have never, and I can say this because I have really deep dove into it and I don't say it with any pride or any right or wrong. I am, I believe, very heterosexual. Like I identify incredibly hetero and I have not struggled with any feelings of like, oh, like I find women beautiful, but that is not what does it for me. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, as I was talking to him, it was almost like, mm, like, chocolate, right? (laughs) I love chocolate. Like if the Bible says like eating chocolate is, you know, a sin and, and I really went by the letter of it, maybe I could live the rest of my life without chocolate, but here's the truth. If you really searched inside my heart, my heart would say, but I love it. (laughs) Like I can't, I can't deny it. I just, love it. And if you offered me licorice, if you offered me, you know, uh, like sour patch kids, I would be like, thank you. Like, okay, sure. It's kind of sweet. It's kind of nice. I like it. But you give me a piece of chocolate and I am weak in the knees and it's real (laughs) for me. That is real. And so as I deep dove into this human being that I loved more than any human being I've ever loved in my life and still to this day do, um, like to hear the, like, just primal, like, I don't want this. Like, this is not a choice. This is my reality. And I put aside all of my judgments that I couldn't even get into that headspace because I am so accepted by society being heterosexual. And I'm mm-hmm. so accepted in my tribe of Christians of, you know, like, oh, well, great. You're doing the good thing because, but I'm like, am I? Cause I'm not even making this choice. Like I'm, mm-hmm. this is just coming really natural to me. 
And for someone who has tried so long, but said, and, and to his credit, he never cheated on me. He never uh, sort of stepped outside the bounds of our marriage. And when he came out, he said, let's just keep doing this. Like, please, we've got children. Marriage is more than just sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. And I was the one who said, this is not what I thought we were doing. And I do not want to be married to someone who has same-sex attraction. That was my choice. And it wasn't uh, in judgment. It was for a personal preference that that is something that I really, probably because I'm so heterosexual, Mm. I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) this is not what I wanted to do. And so, uh, you know, at first it was a little dicey, but once, um, once we sort of like just said, look, let's just call a spade a spade and say that you were doing the best you could with the tools you were given. And I want to be nothing but gracious and loving and caring because as a human being, I know you through and through. And that's what he'd say. He'd say, I'm still the same person. You just know something about me that you didn't know. And I would push back and say, it's a pretty significant thing when you're the only one that I'm sexual with and to not know. So in my own therapy, it was like, Oh, like not only is there just this new sexual reality for me, it was a betrayal of trust. And that was maybe a more, you know, fatal blow to my uh, bond than even the sexual piece to it. But all that to say, it gave birth to a place in me where I realized um, I could no longer have this be a theoretical conversation because Mm. um, it had ruined my life, to be very honest. Uh, I believe in, which is why I still believe, I believe that there is resurrecting power in Christ and that anything that dies, if it is given over to the hope of the goodness and the, you know, that resurrection power, there can be new life from death. And, but I will say, it destroyed me. And, um, I was like, this is, this is no longer something I can keep silent about because now my life's ruined. His life is ruined mm-hmm. again, believing there is power and life after death in that hope of that gospel. But yeah. definitely there was death. <laughs> and so it's like, Oh now I cannot be silent and I right. must, uh, sort of share this and just knowing him in and out. I know that he didn't do it on purpose. Mm. And if he would have been able to say, this is real for me and not be shamed and judged and fear of like the Matthew Shepard story, which was about a young college boy who got drug out into a field and beaten and left there for dead because these guys thought that because these guys found out he was gay. My ex-husband watched that story on a college tour and was glued to the television knowing if I come out, my, my very life could be threatened here. And I couldn't handle the thought of someone killing him because he couldn't change the fact that he likes chocolate and that's just real for him, you know? So, so the area that I struggle with, and this is, this is, I don't know if it's naivete, if it's the, the part that I struggle with and, and maybe I should start this way. So I had a cousin, um, she and my wife and I, we would, we hiked and we did explored and we did stuff forever and ever and ever. 
When we first started hanging out, she said to us, now, you know I'm gay, right? And we didn't, but we were okay with that, and we hung out with her. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, uh, and, and we tried to include, said, hey, if you ever want to bring your girlfriend with you on these hikes and stuff, and uh, we geocached and all this stuff, that'd be great. And then one day, all of a sudden, she said, I can no longer hang out with you because of the way you are as Christians. Mm. To this day, that happened years ago. To this day, that is the, the hardest relationship that I have. Here's a cousin mm. that I want to talk to and say, hey, I love you because you're my cousin. I don't care if you're red, yellow, pink, have, you know, mm -hmm. an, a horn coming out your nose, whatever. I don't, I love you because of who you are and not have the ability to say, let's talk about it. Let's find out what, what, it, what is it that I did that caused me to be unclean so that you don't want to hang out with me? Yeah. And then yep. alongside that story, so I'm, my, my wife is my second wife. My first wife and I separated for stupidity on my part and a lot of different things. But now she is in a, a same-sex relationship. Um, and again, I, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, Lord, I don't understand. These are both people who are raised and born, born and raised in the church who have the Bible in front of them. And yet I don't understand how we can weigh biblical, what I read in the, read in the Bible and see about what that is. Now we're all born with sin and it's how what we do with sin and i think i think that if you know if i'm prone to murder but i don't murder well am i sinning no i'm not i'm trying to decide how to wrap this all up into a question candle cuz <laughs> as you can tell it's it's tough for me so so what is what is our role as a christian to say i love you and i want to be part of your life even if i don't condone necessarily what you're doing, or if I don't understand what you're doing, or when I'm not even given the opportunity to look into this, and I don't want to be that guy that's going to drag the kid out and, and kill him because of what he believes, because that's not God's love. Yeah, right. Gosh, it like brings up so many thoughts in my head. I think the, you know, the Bible thing, you know, when you say it's very clear, it also says a lot of other things in the Bible that seem to also be very clear, but we don't live by those, like, uh, you know, not permitting a woman to teach over a man. And maybe you do actually believe that, but I think there are very strong uh, female teachers that I, I wholeheartedly like trust in. Yep. And, Your mom's a pastor. you know, the head covering <laughs> and not wearing jewelry and yeah. things. I've also got a little feminist button. You should know that. So um, I think that there's, all kinds of things in scripture that we say, mm, or, okay, we're just going to kind of put that one in context, but this one is not in context. So I think it's, then we get into, you know, that whole conversation, which uh, is hard because when, at least my knowledge from my ex-husband is that he almost felt like a spy in a foreign land. Like he had a fake ID and he was like in this place and everyone thought he was a part of, mm -hmm. you know, he was yeah. like a full on citizen. But when he came out, he knew exactly who 
was uh, basically for him or against him, you know? And I was like, how did you know that? He's like, because I've been listening through Mm. this lens this entire time. Like I have known this truth about me. And so when someone says, well, you know, love the sinner, but hate the sin, you know, like he's like, okay, they're not going (laughs) to like, they would really, they really believe I'm going to hell. They really believe that if I were to act out on this, that I would be, you know, like that God is against me, but they get to, they get to act out on it. Or if, you know, if you have a promiscuous heterosexual, that's a way better, you know, like version than a promiscuous homosexual. And so when you talk about your cousin, first of all, I hear the pain in your side of it, but I also hear a pain in her side of it, just that she would end relationship thinking that you hold a belief about her that she can no longer kind of be around. That's like heartbreaking. And that tells me that she's had much pain. And um, if I were you, which (laughs) I wouldn't ever assume to give advice, but if I were in your shoes and that is your heartbeat to say, I love you and I long to be in a relationship and I long to know more, I would daily reach out with, care and concern and just say, I want to understand. I seek to get to know you better and understand where this hurt and offense and how I can be someone who can be more like God in my love. And I often say, you know, if we are spending our time judging, then we have, we've got to go back to the drawing board Mm -hmm. and spend every last second on loving. Because if we do that, we will literally not have any time to judge. We will not because loving yeah. will take so much of our energy and so much of our time and so yep. much of our intention that there won't be time left to judge, right. you know? Yeah. And wow. is that not the call? Love your neighbor yeah. as yourself. And what I've just realized is there are so few things in my life that someone would say, God hates that about you. Like, I don't, I actually don't think in when I, and again, not in pride, but sort of looking at my life just in general, like no Christian would be like, God like is repulsed by that part of you. And to be told that message by something that, and again, I'm only speaking for what my ex-husband has testified to me. He doesn't, he didn't want it. And he feels incapable of changing it. He was willing to play the part, but it wasn't going away. And to be told that that is, you know, that God is disgusted by that part of him, that is just devastating and yeah. flies in the face of the message that, that God is love. Yeah. And so there are some deep wounds that people who have struggled through trying to remain in a church setting have endured by very non-empathetic human beings yeah. who do not struggle with Anything that anyone says is, is a, you know, a moral, like, fireable offense, you know? Well, and I think, I think that it's not just in sexuality that we deal with that as a church, as a culture. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the differences in colors of our skin. We're talking about the differences in, you know, I mean, this is sounds silly, but I mean, churches divide over what kind of music you play or even sillier things, you know, 
where is it, how is it that we, and this is part of the reason I developed this podcast, is I want to find out how can we love each yeah. other the way God loves us, and do we really understand what it means yeah. when God says he loves us? And I, the, the older I get and the more I dig into this, I think, you know, I think I don't understand God's love because it's so big, I can't quant- I can't quantify it in my pea brain, <laughs> you know? Exactly, right? And, and, and so how do we... Nature. How do we come into these difficult areas, these times where we're dealing with disappointment and frustration, and and how do we understand that God's love, in spite of all of that, and we're mm-hmm. called to love like God does, mm-hmm. and that's a tough, so tough thing. True. I'm reading a. Um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Father Gregory Boyle. He's the founder of Homeboy Industries, which is a Los Angeles-based like company that gives jobs to gang members. Okay. He's written three books now. So I've read the first two and I'm currently reading the third one. And he is potentially one of the few people that I've gone. I think he's articulating it right. I think Hmm. this is, and it's scandalous and it's like, you keep on going like, no, 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 wait, wait, (laughs) there has to be, you know, but then you're just like, no, it's, beautiful it is beautiful and i believe like yes let that be the love that's poured out on me which is really just you know he's like and i there's a great chapter in a Brene brown book that changed my life about that too where you know she had all this judgment towards this woman and she went in her therapist chair and her therapist said you know i i tend to think people are doing the best they can with the tools they've been given and she's like unacceptable that is not true i will not believe that you know yeah and uh she goes and inventories all her friends and asks all these you know questions do you think people are really doing the best they can no absolutely not and she you know does her whole research thing and finally she talks to this one friend and this one friend says no i do not believe that she said as a matter of fact and she illustrates this thing and all of a sudden it was Brene who was in the hot seat because her friend turned on this issue that Brene, if she outed herself her friend would be like, you are the failure. You are the one who has, you know, and she went, oh no, like I'm, I'm the low life now. I'm the one that I was, you know, sort of like, and and she said, I was sitting across the table and this is what really got me. So I was sitting across the table for my friend and I just wanted to look at her and say, if you knew, if you only knew how I tried, how I wanted to, how I, you know, like, and I just couldn't, maybe you'd muster some compassion if you, but, but now I can't tell you because you've just told me that you like, <laughs> don't have any compassion for that, yeah. you know? And, and it was like, yes, that's it. If you only knew my story, you might not judge me. And that is where I think God sits because he knows our stories. Mm. He knows every moment that has wounded us. He knows every moment where we have been penetrated to like that vulnerable core and gone never again. I will not show up to this, you know, party and and share that part of myself. And, and that's the compassion that this all knowing being can have on each of us and then pour out a love that is healing and redemptive because it's, and, and those, every single story in the room, you know, mm-hmm. and knows that it's, it's being worked together. If we can lean into that healing, we can come together and, and be made whole together. 
Every Saturday, I send out a newsletter to a bunch of folks who have committed to praying for musicians. How can we specifically be praying for you in the weeks and the months ahead? That is wonderful, and I've received that, and I have been so grateful for it. You know, if I'm really honest, which I'm in the business of being these days, <laughs> um, being now almost 42 and being back in the dating world is pretty crappy. <laughs> <laughs> and I've realized a lot that I um, I really long for a relationship, and I've got wonderful friends, and I've got a wonderful relationship with my ex-husband. He's really my best friend, and we are totally committed to being the best co-parents we can, and I've got great kids. But um, I've realized, like, I really want a relationship. So I would love all of the, <laughs> the prayer and support yep. for it's uh, for a, a really great connection, you know, because yeah. it's really nice when you have it. And when you don't, it's kind of like, huh, for me, it's, it's not the fullness of the life that I want, you know. Hey, Kendall, thanks for sharing your story with us today. Hearing how you've dealt with the disappointments of career and life and love, and yet you still seem to have a joyful, caring heart, well, this is a real encouragement to me. I can't begin to imagine the hurt and confusion and questions that you've had to deal with, yet the fact that you've come through this learning to love yourself and learning to love others more deeply is, well, it's very reassuring to me. Your confidence in a God who loves perfectly and understands our pains, lets me know that there is hope for the things that I'm going through. One of my desires in creating this podcast was to learn how we can love others better. What does it look like to live in a community with others, loving each other, and demonstrating Jesus' love for each other? I think of the verse in John 10.10 that says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they might have life and have it to the full. What does a full, abundant life look like? I think in Western culture, we talk about health and safety and provisions, but I've been in some third world countries where an abundant life doesn't have any of those things. If you strip everything away and get to the root of what a full life looks like, what does that look like for you? What's left? Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what I hope for in an abundant life, Christ living in me and through me, so that no matter what life has in store, I will rest in God. I will rely on him to provide joy, comfort, encouragement, and direction. Hopefully, I can show those things to the people around me who are going through their own life's disappointments. As always, thank you for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you reach out and say hello? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn by searching for at CCM Exchange. Or you can also drop me a line on the webpage, christianmusicarchive.com. Well, next week, I'm inviting you back because I'm chatting with my friend David Nevue. David is a solo piano artist that I went to college with, and it was real fun for me to catch up and hear how God is working in his life and career. So be sure to join me next week and every week when I share stories of the people you'll find 
on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. To wrap things up today, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. It's time for another Mischievous Maurer's Miscellaneous Misquotes. Why is it that when you transport something by car, it's called a shipment, but when you transport something by ship, it's called cargo?